Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth. I'm your host, Amy Walker, and joining me this week to delve into a story from history is my guest, Glenn Jakeman. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you? Yes, not not too bad. Not too bad. Just getting over a horrible cold, so we're, we're getting back to feeling like human again. Good. Well, hopefully we can help you feel better with a, <laughs> a fun story from history, which this is, is not fun at all, so I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> You're being a good sport, though, not only for coming on the show, but also for for letting me give you a subject that's not going to be a walk in the park compared to some we've had. Well, to be fair, 90% of history is awful. Um, you, you do find that, I, mean, I, I did history at school, I did history at college, and I did history at university, and you will find that most of history is not happy fun times. Yes, and, and that's something that we like about history on this show, is we don't want to shy away from those, because history is awful, but it can teach us a lot of things and whilst this story has some horrible stuff happen in it it's also one of the most inspiring people i've ever heard of Mm -hmm. but i mean they they do say that you know obviously those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it so i I think i do find in the the current sort of climate that we find ourselves in 2018 a lot of people would rather not hear about horrible things and while you know Nobody wants to hear about horrible things. If you cocoon yourself too much, then you're just going to go down the same route that our uh, forefathers did. Yeah. So, there you go. Ooh, philosophizing on a Thursday night. (laughs) There you go. Well, as listeners may have seen in the episode description, there is a content warning on this episode. There are some graphic and disturbing moments coming up if you didn't see that this is your warning now so that you can't be taken by surprise and you've seen the title as well so you might even know the subject whereas poor glenn has no idea what he's in for (laughs) but without further ado i can start the story and hopefully we'll all get through it together okie doke there we go it's it's a bonding experience exactly Mary Vincent grew up in Las Vegas with her parents, both of whom worked in local casinos. Her mother, Lucy, was a casino dealer and her father, Herb, was a gambling machine repairman. In 1978, at the age of 15, Mary ran away from home with her boyfriend and moved to California. After her boyfriend was arrested for allegedly raping a high school girl, Mary (laughs) decided to return home. As you do. Yeah, I can't, can't blame her for running away from him. Hmm. Unfortunately, she didn't have any money, so she chose to hitchhike back to Nevada. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, this is the 70s where everyone seemed to hitchhike. 
Yeah, these days nobody hitchhikes. Yeah, please, please, nobody ever hitchhike. <laughs> no, that's a s- stupid thing to do. <laughs> During her journey through Berkeley on the 29th of September, a van pulled over to offer her a ride. The van was driven by a man called Lawrence Singleton, described as a balding, middle-aged man whose blue jumpsuit was stretched over a beer belly. He was a former merchant seaman. He was a heavy drinker who had been convicted to contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Mild-tempered enough when sober, he was reported to turn vengeful when he'd had enough to drink. Singleton told Mary that he had room in the van for one passenger. Two young men who were hitchhiking close to Mary could see into the back of the van and could see that it was empty. They told Mary not to go with him. Mm. Despite these warnings, Mary got into the van. When in the van, Mary pulled out a cigarette and lit it. When the smoke made her sneeze, she felt a hand on the back of her neck. Let's see if you're sick, Singleson said, pulling her towards him. She jerked away from him and settled against the door out of his reach. A short while into the drive, Mary fell asleep. When she awoke, she noticed that they were not heading in the right direction. Panicked, she grabbed a pointed surveyor stick that was sitting beside the passenger seat and pointed it at Singleton, demanding that he turn the car around. He told her that he had made an honest mistake and had turned down the wrong road. I'm not going to hurt you, he said, turning the van around and heading back the way they had come. Yeah, that that tends not... (laughs) If you have to say it, then it's a good chance that it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Whenever people really feel the need to point something out, yeah. it's normally something that they are going to do or have done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if someone comes up to you and says, Hi, nice to meet you. I don't drown puppies. They're probably drowned puppies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to punch you in the face. I, I don't plan to brutally murder you and, and put you in the foundations of a house. It's like, that's oddly specific. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> A short while later, he pulled the van over, telling Mary that he needed to pee and couldn't wait until the next service station. He climbed out of the van and walked into the bushes. Mary, feeling like something wasn't right, noticed that her shoelace was untied. Thinking that she may have to try and run away from the older man, she got out of the van so she could tie her laces. As she got out, Singleton walked up behind her and hit her over the head with a sledgehammer. The blow didn't kill her, but knocked her unconscious. When she woke up, she was in the back of the van, stripped naked. Singleton forced her to perform oral sex on him, telling her that he would kill her if she didn't. After he raped her orally, he tied her hands behind her back and raped her again. He would rape her several times throughout the course of the night, only stopping when the sun came up. I asked why he was doing this. There was no response. He raped me a few times, probably about six times, and he fell asleep. But I couldn't, I couldn't get away because I was completely tired. I wanted to die. That was the worst feeling I've ever felt. That's all I was thinking. Please, God, kill me now can't handle it. The whole time, I was just telling him, please, just set me free. Let me go. Set me free. I remember the words. Just set me free. 
I won't tell. And he kept raping me till the next day. And I was awake the whole time. And I was awake till I saw the sun starting to rise. In the morning, he pulled her out of the van. Mary begged him to set her free, promising that she wouldn't go to the police. He turned to her and said, You want to be free, I'll set you free. Reaching into the van, he pulled out a hatchet. Grabbing hold of her, he swung the hatchet onto her right arm, cutting it off just below the elbow. Mary screamed and tried to get away from him, but Singleton continued his assault, taking hold of her left arm. He hacked at her arm as Mary tried to kick at him, trying to break his grip. She fell to the ground and looked up at Singleton, who was shaking his arm around, trying to loosen Mary's severed hand that still had hold of him. (laughs) Beaten, repeatedly raped, and with both arms hacked off, Mary was picked up and carried to the edge of the road. Okay, now you're free, Singleton told her, before throwing her off a 30-foot cliff edge. He said, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. And he pulled out a hatchet from his toolbox and took my left arm and took one swing. And I started to fall. And then he took another swing and I grabbed his arm grabbed it real tight and I couldn't figure out I'm holding him real tight on his arm but I'm still falling I looked down at my arm and there was nothing just blood squirting out I felt all the pain, the sharpness the burning and when my blood was leaking out of my body, I felt the hot. It was just flowing out of me. I felt everything. I was aware of everything, and the pain was so excruciating. And he, um, He then took my right arm and I started kicking and screaming, hoping someone would hear me. And I'm just kicking nonstop. And he started to chop my right arm off. But because I'm still kicking and screaming, it took longer. So he had to keep chopping away at my arm. When, when he was done chopping my arm off, I lay there bleeding, but I could see him at a distance. And he was flicking his arm, and I couldn't figure out why until I looked at the end of his arm. My hand was still clutched onto him real tight, and he was trying to flick it off. At that point, he, uh, 
he started to drag me. And I think he thought I was dead because I just lay still and didn't move. And he threw me off a 30-foot cliff. The fall knocked her unconscious once again and also broke several of her ribs. It didn't, however, kill her. Unsure if Singleton had left or if he was still around, Mary lay at the bottom of the ravine, fighting the urge to fall asleep. Mary would later say that a voice in her head told her not to fall asleep. She said that she knew that he would do this to another girl and that she couldn't let that happen. Mm. Probably already done it a few times, I would imagine. Yeah, this doesn't seem like the sort of thing someone does as a first kind of offence. Pressing her mutilated arms into the mud, she used the wet dirt to cover her wounds, preventing further blood loss. Mary spent the next several hours dragging herself out of the ravine that she had been thrown into, eventually making her way back up to the road by the time night had fallen. Having heard the sound of traffic during the day, Mary knew what direction to head in in order to reach the main road. Walking in the dark with only the light of the moon to show her her way, Mary walked for hours. When a convertible approached, two young men were inside, their headlights revealing a naked, blood-covered young woman missing both of her arms. She called out out to them for help, but they were too frightened and sped away. Fortunately for Mary, a second car soon came along. The car was driven by a young couple on their honeymoon who were lost. Seeing the wounded teen, they stopped immediately, got her into the back seats, wrapped her in towels and drove as fast as they could to a nearby airport where they called for an ambulance. Her wounds were so grave that Mary was taken hospital via helicopter. By the time she reached hospital, she had lost half the blood in her body. Blimey. The first thing she said to the hospital staff was, he raped me. Despite horrific injuries and the severe emotional trauma, Mary remained very calm while speaking to police and was able to give such a detailed description to police sketch artists that Singleton was almost immediately identified. A neighbour of Singleton, whose name was removed from newspaper reports, but described as a housewife and bowling aficionado, saw the police sketch on the news and knew without doubt that it was her neighbour, she immediately called the police. In the months following her attack, Mary began the long road to recovery, being fitted for prosthetics for her missing hands, and even returned to school. When the trial began in 1979, Singleton told the court that he was innocent. He said that Mary was a $10 a night whore that he had picked up, along with another hitchhiker. He said that it was this hitchhiker, Larry, was the one who attacked Mary whilst he was passed out drunk. (laughs) Mary, who was still recovering both physically and psychologically from her ordeal only six months before, took the witness stand. She told the court about her attack, going into detail about the events. She made it clear that Singleton was the one responsible for her horrific injuries and sexual assault, completely destroying his defence story. As Mary left the witness stand, she passed close to Singleton, who leant towards her and whispered, I'll finish this job if it takes me the rest of my life. He sounded lovely. Yeah. He sounds great. You definitely get him to play Santa for the Christmas fate. Absolutely. He's, kind of, he's definitely that kind of nice older gent. 
Yes, oh, he, he's the last of the silver-tongued jammers, he is. Plus, if your defence is, I didn't do it, and then people in court <laughs> hear you whisper, I'll finish the job, you've kind of fucked yourself. Well, well yeah, that's <laughs> probably because it's a mental case. That's probably the reason why. True, yeah, mental case is kind of the early explanation for what he did. Well, it's, psychop- it's psychopathy, isn't it? He thinks he's above everything. Uh, that's that's classic sociopath behaviour, is that? I'm 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 above all this. I don't. The rules don't apply to me. Um, I I go by my own rules, and and my rules is that I'm not guilty, but I'm going to kill you later. Fortunately, though, Singleton was found guilty by the jury. He was charged with rape, kidnapping, mayhem, attempted murder, and sodomy. The judge gave him the maximum sentence possible for each of these crimes. How long do you think that that would total? I'm guessing not long because there was no murder. So I'm thinking because there was no murder and because basically, hey, it's a woman in the 70s, so mm-hmm. 20 years. Oh, you're, you're being hopeful. He was sentenced to 14 years. Yeah. I, I knew it wasn't going to be long because it's attempted murder. It's not murder. Yeah. It's like that. It's that fine line between murder and manslaughter in this country. Oh, it wasn't premeditated, so oh, it's not as bad. Oh, well, that's fine then. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, he didn't plan it, so, you know. If this person will only kill you in a spur-of-the-moment rage. They're not going to plan it ahead of time, so they're fine. Exactly. I would feel safer with the person who plans it. Yeah. Because it generally is just cold, emotionless, and nine times out of ten, one person thereafter. Whereas the mental with a an axe who likes killing women sure i'll i'll share an empty train carriage with him he sounds great <laughs> yeah um, but like i said woman in the 70s i'm surprised yeah. they didn't i'm surprised they didn't send her to prison yeah so it's your fault bitch prison i think it's a case of if he hadn't have did what he did after the rapes and she was just a rape victim he probably wouldn't have got anything. I think the fact that she turned up to court missing arms yeah, is the only reason he was found guilty. He would have got something. Um, It it wasn't, it's not that bad that they would see rapers, you know, oh, it's not that bad. Because at the end of the day, yeah, it is that bad. And and if nothing else, the sodomy charge would carry a hefty sentence anyway. Because mm. this this is back in the seventies when sodomy, you know, oh sodomy that means gay people, and you know, which isn't even fucking true anyway. But you know, um, but that's that nine times out of ten that will have been the reason that uh, yeah. that carried a heavy sentence. Because you know, you know how them gays love sodomy, right? Straight people couldn't possibly do that anything like that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Straight people would never do that. No one check porn. <laughs> yeah, no one check any porn whatsoever. Ninety <laughs> percent of which is anal sex. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I mean, if there was no such thing as sodomy with straight people, then why the hell would anyone bleach their anus? <laughs> oh dear, that must be an interesting thing, right? That's a weird conversation. So uh, <laughs> weird segue from the story into anal bleaching but i, I like uh, it it's, it's <laughs> not, i don't like anal bleaching no that's no, not what I meant. <laughs> you heard it here first folks that's Damn what it. she's into 
Oh, and I am so glad I have the power to edit myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which only makes it truer. Oh, dear. Oh, God, I'm going to have to leave that in then, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'll know. The judge presiding over the case said that if he was able to, he would have sentenced Singleton to life without parole. He said, if I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. So I'm guessing they even then didn't have the death sentence in California. That Because otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm guessing it just doesn't strike me as a death sentence kind of place. Mm. I just... It shows how shocking the law is in some of those ways where he was found guilty and the judge could tell what kind of awful person he is. But mm. his hands are tied. He can't give him more than 14 years. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, it's, it's a good thing, I guess, that you can't just have judges or people making sort of arbitrary decisions because that's what the law's there for. Mm. But on the other hand, it is frustrating. Yeah. When it's when you know? it's really needed, and mm. in cases where the sentences need to be harsher, it kind I, I of think, falls short. But... I think did they have? I'm pretty sure they have more leniency with that now. I'm pretty sure they do, mm. um, and it's because of things like this, sort of these extreme cases. Yeah, that that you know the law. That's how the law grows. That's how the law changes and and you know it's going to happen a lot in britain at the moment because of the the case is going to happen with the 78 year old guy who killed the guy who, who was trying to burgle him you're going to have these cases where it, the law is going to be tested and the law is going to have to set a precedent and that's a good thing it might not seem like it at the time but it is a good thing that the law isn't set in stone that it does need to be tested it does need to have precedent set and this is i'm guessing one of those things yeah as well as having found Singleton guilty, Mary won a civil judgment worth $2.56 million. However, Good. as Singleton was unemployed and had only $200 savings, she did not receive a penny. No. Singleton was sent to San Quentin prison to serve out the term of his sentence. Ouch. It was during this period that a scheme was put into place where prisoners were able to have time knocked off their sentences if they worked whilst incarcerated. Singleton worked as a teaching assistant in the prison classroom. Sure. Got At least it, it wasn't a classroom with children. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Thanks to this, as well as good behaviour, he became eligible for parole after just eight years. Mm -hmm. Singleton was paroled to Contra Costa County in California, but no town would accept his presence. According to Time magazine... As authorities attempted to settle him in one Bay Area town after another, angry crowds and Tampa's chapter of Guardian Angels led protests, screamed, picketed, and eventually prevailed. Guardian Angels, blimey, I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. Do you remember them? I don't remember them myself, but I've seen things with them. I, re I remember them. It's something that was that, weird. Yeah, I... I don't think we have anything close to that anymore. They, no, you're vigilantes at the end of the day. I'm guessing you're a lot younger than me. Um, I'm 41. Oh, I'm, I'm very old. So I remember the 80s very clear. I remember them coming over here and uh, trying to establish themselves on the tube in London. Mm. And didn't last long because we're not, we're not that sort of country. We certainly weren't back in the 80s. <laughs> um, but yeah, guardian angels. Mm. 
It's a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> in Rodeo, about 25 miles northeast of San Francisco, a crowd of approximately 500 local protesters were up in arms and forced officers to move Singleton under armed guard from a hotel room. Authorities tried housing him across the street from Concord City Hall, but that was met with protests and failed as well. He was removed from one apartment in Contra Costa County in a bulletproof vest after 400 residents surrounded the building to protest a decision to place him there permanently. With nowhere willing to accept him and public opinion that he should not be freed from prison, the state governor ordered that Singleton be placed in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin for the duration of his one-year parole. The outrage at his sentence resulted in legislation, supported by Mary Vincent, which prevents the early release of offenders who have committed a crime in which torture is used. The 1987 Singleton's Parole led to a passage of California's Singleton Bill, which carries a 25-to-life sentence. There we are. Yeah. So the, so, the law test tested and the law was changed and it's that precedent. So yeah. there we go. That's how it's supposed to work. The leniency of the legal system shocked and outraged many. One journalist who interviewed him remarked, What was most surprising to me, however, was not his sentence. It was that Larry Singleton had worked his crimes around in his mind so completely that he did not warrant punishment at all. Yeah, that's psychopathy, is that? Yep. It's where, you know, it's like, it doesn't, law does not apply to me. I can do whatever I want. Right before Singleton's parole ended... Donald Stahl, the prosecutor at Singleton's trial, said, I think, if anything, he's worse now. He has not taken responsibility. He lives in a bizarre fantasy land and acquits himself each day. He doesn't accept his guilt and won't resolve never to do it again. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely falling into that category. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think in this country, you know, obviously it would be treated different, and I think... Because he should, they do take that into account, you know, the remorse shown and things like yeah. that. And if you don't show remorse, then you go to prison forever. You're never getting out. I think they've got yeah. that sort of special home office clauses as well, don't they? Where, you know, if you do have somebody who basically doesn't care that they've done what they've done, then the home office can say, you're never getting out. Yeah. And, and it should be more like that. It should be looked at on a case-by-case basis and not just the laws that were broken, but the people who broke the laws need to be looked at and evaluated. Well, yeah, I mean, it isn't... thing is, murder is very... It's a, an emotional subject. Mm-hmm. And if you get someone who goes to prison for murder, it depends on the murder, it depends on the circumstances, it depends on a lot of things, because you do yeah. get murderers mm-hmm. who come out and they spend a long time in prison and they, they accept responsibility and wish they hadn't done what they'd done. You can't... Mm-hmm conversely say that all murderers should go to prison forever because no. some people you know th- th- there might be a reason they've, d- they've done what they've done and you know or they found god or whatever other reason they they found a moral center that they maybe didn't have before and it's yeah as you say it's a case by case thing um and i think again it's cases like this that have shown that it does need to be on a case by case thing yeah you can't just say Unanimously and unilaterally, this is what happens. Yeah, it's like, I think it's Denmark. Um, Their legal system set up so that you can't be sentenced to life in prison. Mm. The maximum you can get is a 25-year sentence, which 
at the end of that you get evaluated and if it's found that it's better to keep you in prison if say you haven't been rehabilitated or you're still a danger mm. you can then be kept in prison for another five years mm. and then it's reevaluated again they keep it rolling over like that which you know that's from what i've seen and read quite a good system because it means those people who have served that time and have changed and are sorry for what they've done and want to turn their life around can be released while those people that really should be there a bit longer do stay in the system mm. and then you get people who are institutionalized as well yeah um, charles bronson's a very good example of that um there's no way he's getting out because he doesn't want to come out mm. he's, he's found that prison is probably the best place for him and he would rather stay in prison yeah um and you do get prisoners like that so yeah um the other, the other way of looking at it is obviously is that, you know, it's it, not an easy thing to say, but it does cost money to keep people in prison. You don't always want them to stay in prison forever. Sometimes they have to get out. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, people aren't willing to pay taxes forever to keep someone inside. Unless they are really bad, obviously, you don't want them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this dude should have been. Yeah, I'd, I'd say a bit more than eight years should have been. Just a tad. <laughs> Just a bit longer, yeah. Like, forever. But, you know. Singleton felt that he was the victim, having insisted upon his innocence during his years in prison and during his parole period. He claimed that Mary had become violent with him, threatening to him physically and forcing him to take her where she wanted to go. He claimed that he had only become violent with her out of fear and self-preservation. Because of this, he decided to sue Mary for forcible kidnap for the purposes of robbery. Fortunately, nothing came of this. Good. (laughs) Yeah, because fucking insult to injury or what? (laughs) I hacked your arms off, but you were the one that kidnapped me. Yeah. Shortly before his release, his psychiatric evaluation read, because he is so out of touch with his hostility and anger, he remained an elevated threat to others' safety inside and outside prison. In addition, whilst incarcerated, Singleton had written several letters to Mary's lawyer in which he threatened her. After his parole, Mary was terrified that he would come back to finish off what he had started, as he had promised in court. It was during this period that he spoke to reporters about the incident, continuing to claim his innocence. According to Singleton, the psychiatrists did not understand the psychology of a seaman such as he. He told them, and the press, that he'd been threatened by the 15-year-old hitchhiker. He said that she was a prostitute who kidnapped him after he was nice enough to give her a ride. Then she tried to maim and kill him. Everything I did was for survival, he wrote in a letter. He wanted everyone to believe that he was the victim, not the girl. But that did not mean he hated prostitutes. Sailors, he said are never hostile to prostitutes. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of... I I saw that quote and it's like, that has to go in just for the sheer... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that old saying, right? You've heard that old saying. Sailors have never been to prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, even if you do 100% think you're innocent... You were in the Navy. Surely you know what some sailors can be like. Well, 
the stories are around all over the world. Even well, yeah. It wasn't, you know, it's dodgy things that happened between sailors and sex workers. Come on. Well, between sailors and sailors as well, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> and soldiers and, and prostitutes and God knows, you know, it's, it's every single military profession in the world has had its problems with things um, like Wellington's army, you know, before Wellington came along and the provost, soldiers would rape, loot and pillage. Mm. Uh, and then Wellington came in and said, yeah, if you do that, I'm going to fucking hang you. And that, that was the, the sort of beginnings of a professional army. And, you know, it, it was around that time that sailors and that had to book their ideas up as well. But, you know, it's... <laughs> but then again, you know, sailors are never mean to prostitutes. So, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. oh. Tool. <laughs> Whilst Mary survived the attack, she didn't feel like a survivor. After the attack, she fell into a deep depression. She had hopes and dreams of becoming a dancer, but her reconstructive surgery rendered her unable to dance ever again. She spent numerous years shuddering at the very thought of that afternoon. She suffered from relentless nightmares and drifted from place to place. She was unable to find a job and couldn't even afford to have her prosthetic arms fixed when they broke. Eventually, she filed for bankruptcy. Mary was not the only one who feared Singleton. His own daughter, Deborah, spoke at length about the nature of her father and what he was like as a dad. When she found out that he was getting out of jail, she also fled and hid, asking law enforcement if there was any way that they could keep him behind bars for longer. Considering how he'd used his status as a father to lure Mary into his car, it only made sense to her. In her own words, I asked California prison personnel what could be done to keep him in longer, and I was told there was nothing. They suggested I obtain a restraining order at the time of his release. Sorry, but I mean this quite sarcastically. I tell you he's a danger. I said that before the first crime. I've changed my name multiple times and am moving across state lines. And if you all suggest a piece of paper that will tell him exactly where I am and what my name is, and not to come within 300 feet of me. Finding California less than welcoming, Singleton moved back to his home state of Florida. In 1990, he was twice convicted of theft. He served a 60-day sentence for stealing a $10 disposable camera in spring 1990, and in the winter received a two-year prison term for stealing a $3 hat. Before his sentencing for the latter crime, he described himself to the judge as a confused, muddle-headed old man. Well, of course, he's just like Mr. Magoo. <laughs> in 1997, a painter called police after witnessing something gruesome through a window of a home in Tampa. The horrified caller said that he saw a naked man raising his arms again and again over a bloody woman who had been slouched over his couch. He told police that he heard bones crunching like chicken bones breaking. When police arrived, they were met by none other than Lawrence Singleton, topless and covered in blood. On the sofa inside the living room lay the lifeless body of Roxanne Hayes, a 31-year-old mother of three and sex worker who'd arranged a date with Singleton. He'd agreed to pay her $20 for sex. Singleton had stabbed Roxanne to death with a boning knife, stabbing her more than a dozen times in the chest and face. When Mary learnt of the murder of Roxanne and that Singleton would once again be on trial, she knew that she had to face him again. Although she wasn't required to testify at his trial, 
she felt that she had to do it. Mm -hmm. I was raped. I had my arms cut off. He used a hatchet and left me to die, she told the stunned courtroom as she pointed towards Singleton with her prosthetic hook. Assistant State Jay Pruner said that the brutality of Singleton's attack on Mary and the violent murder of Roxanne are the reason that it was recommended that Singleton be sentenced to death. Twenty years ago, Mary Vincent got into a van with, with Mr. Singleton. Some twenty years later, Roxanne Hayes got into Mr. Singleton's van. She, unlike Mary, did not survive the meeting with Lawrence Singleton, he told the court. Thanks in part to Mary's testimony, Singleton was found guilty and sentenced to death. He died in prison from cancer in 2001 before his sentence could be carried out. Since the death of Singleton, Mary has gone on to form a family with two sons, Luke and Alan, and her boyfriend and permanent bodyguard, Kurt. She has also found a passion for art and spends much of her time creating portraits, many of which depict strong, heroic women. Um, one last thing, I did find a picture of Mary. Sadly, she, she's preparing chicken, uh, and and on the counter next to her is a, a Fox News mug, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I really hope that's just a complimentary one. You're not an aficionado of Fox News now, Mary, because I kind of like you. Yeah, but, uh... <laughs> hopefully it's when they just popped in there because it was for Fox News or something. Fox, exactly. Uh, but it's good to know that she's formed a family and that she found some peace after. Mr. Singleton, as we'll charitably called him, um, went to prison for the, well, what turned out to be the rest of his life. Yeah. And, I mean, sorry, carry on. I was going to say, it's like one of these sort of sad cases where kind of everybody wins because he didn't get killed by the state, which is good because I don't like the death penalty, but uh, he mm. did die in prison. I hope he, yes. I hope he really suffered as well. Yeah. And that's the thing. Some people may have found more justice in the idea of him dying the way he did because in their minds cancer is a worse way to die because it's slower and more painful so those people who did want him to die kind of got a victory as well because mm. he, didn't, he didn't just go and like hang himself and cheat the system or something like that. he he went slowly and yeah it's it's kind of a i don't want to say a win-win because well, no, if it was a win, you know, it never a, would have happened. A woman lost her place. life and Mary yeah. went through everything she did. But she's she's gone on to be an incredibly strong woman. There's um, some first-hand interviews she's done about the incident where she tells her story, some of which is going to be edited into the episode. So some of the listeners will have already heard her mm. speak about what she went through. She appeared on a television show called I Survived. Yes. Um, which is on YouTube. You can actually search Mary Vincent, I Survived, and it is worth a watch because hearing her story from from her own mouth is so heartbreaking, but also so powerful. It's on one of the crime channels over here is I Survived. I've never, never watched it, but I've seen it on the, the TV listings. So if you're in the UK and you have Freeview, I think it's on one of those channels. Ah, okay. I'm going to have to check that out myself and put it on record because whilst it's not an easy show to watch, it's normally full of stories like Mary who mm. fill you full of awe, like these people's ability to, to go through these horrific traumatic experiences. Like everything Mary went through, she was a 15-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. If that was me at 15, I'd have laid in the bottom of that ditch and I'd have died. I wouldn't have had the strength to do what she did and 
survive and, and then mm-hmm. to face him in court twice as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be interested to know if she got any sort of faith because sometimes that can. I mean, I I'm completely faithless heathen, but I have noticed sometimes that people with some sort of faith in something they tend to find inner strength sometimes. Not always, mm. but obviously, you know, with with a growing up somewhere like California in in the late seventies, I'd be interested to know. Um. And not just Christian, any kind of faith, really. I'm not, but um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to know whether she's got any sort of belief system that helped her cope with it, or whether it's just a lot of therapy. Yeah, I'm guessing a lot of therapy. She certainly had PTSD from what from what you were describing. Yeah, Un- unsurprisingly, there's interviews I I read with her even quite recently after Singleton ended up dying. So. She's, mm. she's moved on even further and she says she still wakes up in the night screaming and mm. her her boyfriend ends up being thrown out of the bed because she's waking up in a panic so it's still it still affects her to this day which I, i'm not surprised about no. i think it's something that you you would never be able to get over but you know she's found herself a family and is creating art and and telling her story so that others can know that first of all hitchhiking is dangerous and you should never do it but also you can survive these horrific things and you shouldn't give up and Mm. i i only found out about this story a couple of days before recording but i've i've looked into it so much because she's i think she's one of the most amazing people i've ever heard of Mm -hmm. definitely so if people enjoyed this episode if they enjoyed listening to us talk where can they find you online glenn uh they can find me um i'm on twitter at cumry nerd cave so uh cumry as in as in wales as in the welsh name for wales and then nerd cave as in a nerd cave um i'm also on facebook uh, my name's glenn jakeman on there um please send me a message that you know me from here and then i'll be able to add you because i don't tend to add many people i don't know uh, understandable because i'm a miserable old unsociable <laughs> git basically um i also do a podcast of my own called back to the 80s um it's lighter than this one <laughs> um but yeah we tend to talk about sort of 80s pop culture and and uh, sort of films movies um tv shows that kind of thing uh mainly from a uk perspective because surprise surprise i'm from the uk so i, I know more about that than america uh, but you can find that it's bttelipsin.com. Uh, we do have a Twitter on that one at bttepod as well. And you should definitely go and check the podcast out because it is a lot of fun. And yeah, if you can, go follow Glenn online because you put out some good tweets. Yeah, well, I try and um, every night put sort of a TV show. Uh, a song from the 80s and, and a thing from the 80s. Uh, so, for example, this week we're doing Visionaries. So we're doing a uh, Visionaries cartoon every day. Uh, and the, the theme this week is Easter because it's just been Easter. I don't know if anybody had noticed. Um, so I'm putting sort of Easter eggs from the 80s. Yesterday's was amazing because it was an EastEnders Easter egg. that I didn't even know they'd done one. I would totally been up for having one of those in 1986. Um <laughs> And tonight is even better. Spoiler alert, it's the Doctor Who one that's a bit rude. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I have just got that up now. Yeah. Ooh, uh. 
Um, <laughs> that's apt. Um, but yeah, it's uh, basically they had a dart. It was Sushard made a, a, an egg in the shape of the TARDIS of the box in the TARDIS. And they had a Dalek firing its gun on the front. Only when you opened the door, it was a picture of Peter Davison, who was the current doctor when this was released. And the little lens flare from the Dalek gun kind of looks like his winky popping out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it didn't last long on the shelves, apparently. They, they didn't notice it in quality control, which is hilarious. No, I'm sure someone noticed it and thought, yeah, that's going through. <laughs> yeah, we, probably me. I would have totally done that. Um, but yeah, I would like to say in my defence as well, though, we don't always have episodes like this. A lot of ours are weird, funny stuff. So yeah, it's not completely grim. You just happened to come on one that <laughs> it, that was as your first episode. It's just me. I'm just grim. Um, but it's like at the end of the day, like I, I you know, I said earlier on, ninety percent of history is grim um that's how we learn as, as the human race you know it's how do you think things get done it's the, the whole um how did the pyramids get built oh it was aliens no it wasn't aliens it was human misery that's what it was <laughs> the egyptians cared nothing for their slaves and just threw slaves at it until it was done um and that's that's how history is that's how history works it is a catalog of human misery and, and horrific things uh and that's you know that's just what we do that's that's human uh, you know at the uh the base level of it human beings aren't particularly nice um and we you know we're getting better i think in the last 100 years we got better than we were but it took two massive uh, world wars and two nuclear blasts to do it but we will learn yeah otherwise star trek won't happen and that has to happen <laughs> right let's let's keep our fingers crossed that it does I, I prefer to think that we yeah, we will get through it, but um, sadly, life is the one thing that we uh, we will not escape. None of us will. So it's best to be nice to each other while we're here, I think. Don't be a Lauren Singleton. Be a Mary. Yes. Definitely. I think it's the message that... Be one of those two, always be Mary. Be a Mary Vincent, I think. Don't be an arsehole like Lawrence. Larry, and die alone in prison of cancer. No one wants that. No, not even Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> he would much rather be out murdering prostitutes, apparently. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, if everyone enjoyed this episode, which I hope you enjoyed it for the right reasons, uh, you can follow us on Twitter by going to at eccentric underscore earth. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. All of our social media are kept up to date with information about upcoming shows and new releases. And we do try to tweet out little history facts and tidbits of information that we found interesting. You can also find us on YouTube as well, where you can subscribe to our channel and listen to our show that way. So subscribe and click the notification icon so you get told about new episodes. And if you want to write into us with any suggestions for topics you'd like to see us cover or any feedback, our email address is eccentricearth at outlook.com. And you can find us on all major podcast providers, so please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And please leave us a review if you feel like it, because it helps us get new listeners and helps us grow and find new audiences. It really does. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Glenn, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, hopefully the experience wasn't too bad for you and you'll come on again in the future. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to. It's been brilliant. It's great. Well, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye for now. I didn't feel relief when he had died. I needed to know what was in that dark soul of his. I felt that I was robbed of that opportunity. But because of my sons, uh, they I saw the relief on their faces that made me realize, okay, that's good enough closure for me. I don't have to worry about my sons' lives anymore. It's God and my sons that, that keep me going. Uh, they keep me loving life more than most people. I appreciate it more and... I'm just glad that I'm given another chance at life, that I didn't die.